Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. Well, here's what's coming up on this edition of The Intersection. From Duck Dynasty, you'll be hearing from Corey Robertson and her mother, Chris Howard, as they discuss a new book of stories they have put together oriented toward children. Then it's the chaplain of the U.S. Senate, Barry Black, who looks back at the concept of his recent National Prayer Breakfast keynote speech and discusses elements of fear that can be met and overcome with faith principles. You'll also be hearing from Karen Eman of Proverbs 31 Ministries, who offers some wise words about controlling words that are spoken. And on this edition of The Intersection, J.T. Olson will share the origins of the ministry he founded called Both Hands, which helps people acquire funds to adopt children by helping widows. Then it's Nicholas Kappas, who has been inspired by the works of C.S. Lewis. He's written a novel that explores spiritual warfare through the eyes of two angels. Finally, a ministry update about Makeway Partners, which recently saw a number of children to which the organization has been ministering celebrate their graduation from high school. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. Willie and Corey Robertson are part of the legendary family of the television show Duck Dynasty. Chris Howard is Corey's mother. Together, Corey and Chris have crafted a book of stories from their family's experiences designed to teach children valuable lessons, including elements of faith. The book is called Duck Commander Happy, Happy, Happy Stories for Kids. Here now are Chris Howard and Corey Robertson. This is our second book. Our first book was Happy, Happy, Happy Devotionals for Kids, and we love that. We love working together and thinking of the things and the adventures, the things our kids have done, and then turning them into life lessons. So the publishing company came to us and said, how about doing some longer versions of some stories? And we thought that was a great idea. We have both worked with kids all of our lives. I was a former teacher, and Corey was the children's minister at our church. We both work at a summer camp that we we have been connected to for uh, forever, and so we, our heart is with kids and teaching kids and uh, helping them learn life lessons, and so it's just a natural extension of what we do all the time with kids. Corey, what type of stories are we talking about here? Well, it's really just fun stories from our kids' childhood and um, them growing up. And, you know, you can look back. My mom always said she can make a life lesson out of stubbing your toe. You know, there's everything that happens in life you can learn something from. And we try to do it with humor and with fun, and that's kind of one of our things in life for our family. We try to not take ourselves too seriously, to have fun with everything that we do. And so we hope we bring that in the book and just telling these funny little stories that may or may not seem that important, but they do teach a lesson. You know, for instance, there's a story about um, about Sadie and a camp, and they have a day every year at camp called Survivor Day, where you get on a team and you have all these challenges that you have to face. And and in that in that instance, you learn teamwork. You see that some kids are good at puzzles, and some are good at tug of war. Some might be good at basketball, but you all come together, and as you come together as a team, you um, you're better. You're better together. And so, just little things like that that um, just may seem insignificant at the time, but you can you can look back and pull a story out of it and teach that that thing to our children and help them to notice those things in life as well. Your family has made a tremendous impact on the on who the people see on Duck Dynasty. Faith's just a part of it all. And these stories obviously have a component of faith. Talk about that if you would. 
Well, I think it's like Corey says, we can't, we, that's how we do life. Faith is just a part of our life, and we do have an amazing heritage. Corey's grandparents uh, on both sides of the family uh, were strong Christian leaders and Christian community leaders, and she saw that, and business leaders, she saw that. And um, it, we do want to hand that down to our children. And, and I remember early on when my kids were little and I read the statistics that, you know, the third generation of faith are the ones that, fall away. Well, we didn't want that. We wanted to be intentional that the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth generation, however long it is, that that they don't fall away. So we, faith is very important to us, and that's what we, we live it out um, in our everyday lives, and we, it's not like we just walk around with a poster. That's just how we base our decisions, and everything that happens in our life is based on our faith, and that's how we walk it out. And I think that's what everybody sees in the TV show, Duck Dynasty, you you see that. It's not like they're holding up banners. They're just living life with God in it. What are some of the life and faith lessons that you and your mom really want to get across here in this book? Well, I think it's important to instill values and uh, and good character in our kids. And I have a book called Strong and Kind out also that's a parenting book that talks about that. And so it's really, that's, that's kind of the point of each of these stories is to instill some kind of value or some kind of good character trait. And so it's things like patience and honesty and hard work and perseverance and, um, you know, learning to listen to the wisdom of others. So it's all those just kind of little things, teamwork, all those things that, you know, we want to instill in our children that makes them successful in life, make them, you know, help them get along with other people, help them get through the tough times. So that's the point of it. It's just um, little life lessons but that teach really big values that, that make a big difference in your life if you can um, – if you can put them into to your life. And that was Corey Robertson, her mom, Chris Howard, also on the program today as we talk about the book they've co-written, Duck Commander, Happy, Happy, Happy Stories for Kids. And Chris, the last word for you, what are your hopes for this book as far as children being inspired and perhaps even growing in their faith walk? Well, I say our kids are no different than anybody else's in this world of technology. They're looking at their phones so often. So our hope for this book is it just gives parents and families an opportunity to sit down with their kids and not only get a stronger relationship with God, but a stronger relationship with each other, with their brothers and sisters and with their moms and dads. And that's we enjoy that in our family. Uh, we, we are the in-law of the Robertsons, but we all have a great relationship and we enjoy our family relationship. And so that's what we hope to instill in everybody. Corey Robertson and Chris Howard here on The Intersection. Learn more about the book through the website, happyhappyhappystories.com. The Intersection continues now with the chaplain of the United States Senate, Barry Black. In a recent conversation, he discussed some observations from his strategic position, as well as some elements of his book, Nothing to Fear, Principles and Prayers to Help You Thrive in a Threatening World. First up, some thoughts about his recent National Prayer Breakfast keynote speech. This is Chaplain Barry Black. After the inauguration, there were marches all over the nation and outside of the nation. There were people holding up placards. There were people with megaphones. There were scores of people who were attempting to make their voices heard on earth. And what I wanted was to ensure that people were aware of the fact that it was far more critical and efficacious to have your voice heard in heaven. I, I just firmly believe that 
prayer is one of the most underestimated weapons that we have as people of faith. In fact, uh, the antidote for a sick nation is given in Second Chronicles 7.14, and it says, If my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray. So prayer is the first step to bringing healing to the nation. God continues, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. So I was, I was passionate about attempting to get people to see the power of prayer and the criticality of making your voice heard in heaven. What are some principles that you could leave us with today that we can apply to our lives, even here and now, that would really embolden us to reflect the character of Christ in this world? Well, the first principle that I would give is do a reality check. Um, Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is white, the laborers are few. So we need to understand the environment in which we're entering. The second bit of advice I would give is to develop a tough mind. Jesus put it this way, be wise as a snake. You know, A snake is aware of the predatory. A snake is aware of its subservient position crawling on the ground. It slithers here, it slithers there. We need a tough mind. Okay? And then to, to help that tough mind, we need the second aspect of the combination, and that is the tender heart. So Jesus says, I send you forth as lambs in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as snakes and innocent as doves. We need integrity. We need to uh, be able by God's grace and being in his will to be empowered to deal with sin, to walk with integrity. Every time we sin, we are committing ethical and moral Russian roulette. You know, you never know what the consequence will be, and yet we have power available to us if we know how to tap into it. And then uh, a bit of advice that I would give is to not let rejection slow you down. Uh, Jesus said to his disciples, when you enter a town, if the people reject you, don't panic. He said, shake the dust off your garment and head to the next town. We just have not learned the power of persevering through rejection. We forget what Isaiah 53 says of Jesus. He was despised and rejected by humanity, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief, and yet he persevered through it. He was unable to do many mighty works in his hometown in Mark chapter 6, and yet he persevered. In Luke 18, he met a rich young ruler. He was not able to persuade the rich young ruler to follow him. Uh, the Bible said the rich young ruler went away sorrowfully, and, and Jesus loved him, the Bible said. So even Jesus was not successful in all of his interactions. If the Son of God had to encounter some levels of failure, we certainly need to learn how to deal with rejection. If he is our master and we are his servants, if they rejected the master, you know what they're going to do do uh, for us. So those are just some mm. of the ways that that you can thrive in a threatening world. Have that tough mind. Have that tender heart. Do that reality check. Uh, 
you know, and then persevere through the rejection. And what you will discover is as you press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus, that success will greet you when you least expect it. Chaplain Barry Black here on The Intersection. You can learn more about his office at senate.gov. You can also find him on Facebook. This is The Intersection Podcast. I spoke recently with Karen Eman, an author and speaker with Proverbs 31 Ministries. In our conversation, she discussed some of the material found in her book, Zip It, The Keep It Shut 40-Day Challenge. With some encouragement to control our words, this is Karen Eman. Especially for the people that tend to talk too much, sometimes we need to learn to just let other people have an opinion in our life group or small group or whatever and not have to always be the one that answers. Um, but more importantly, I think it's just giving up the wrong kind of speech, those angry words, sarcasm. You know, there, there are so many different kinds of speech, that, and I feel like each person kind of struggles with something different. Like I have friends that, you know, don't at all struggle with angry words, but they're really sarcastic. Or I have, um, you know, other people in my life that that have struggles in a different area. Or maybe it's just that it's the opposite, that you don't speak up when you should. You tend to not say something because you're a people pleaser. There are just so many things in Scripture about the proper way to use our words that both edify others and glorify God, that I feel like this could be a lifelong journey and we still would never completely master it, but it certainly is something that affects all of us every day because all day long we have opportunity to use our words, whether, again, it's in person or it's texting someone or typing a comment on Facebook. There are so many opportunities to use our words that we want to make sure that they are in line with what Scripture says about speech that is is something that glorifies God. You actually talk about keeping a clean, and and I want our listeners to hear the play on words here, as you put it, a word drobe, instead of a wardrobe, <laughs> a word, W-R-D, drobe, in the closet of your heart and mind. Comment on that if you would. Yeah, just as we have clothing in our wardrobe that we grab each day, we have words <laughs> in our mind and in our heart that they come out. You know, when somebody bumps into our happy, or um, that's my, my one of my friends calls it, or they threaten to knock the nice out of us, you know, what's already inside is going to spill out. And so when we have in our thoughts and in our heart things that are not good, language that's not good, and I'm not talking about cussing, I'm just talking about, you know, those things, snark, sarcasm, anger. When we have those in there, just as we go to our closet to grab something that day, when we're interacting with that person and they're kind of making us get a little feisty, we're going to grab what's in our heart and it's going to come out. So we need to be making sure that we are stocking our wardrobe with phrases that will be our go-to things that we can bring out during those times. Like sometimes, you know, I, I know in the past I would just, if my, my husband and I were in a little heated uh, discussion, a little marital discussion, I would just start throwing accusations his way or, you know, saying superlatives like, you always and you never. And so I've learned one phrase that I keep in my wardrobe is to say, help me to understand and then I will explain the situation. Rather than being accusatory, like I normally, my go-to phrase would be, you always, you never. Now I will say, okay, help me to understand how 
whatever, and then I'll describe the, the situation. And that's coming from a place where I'm a little more calm. I really am wanting to understand because it doesn't make sense to me what he's saying, but I'm not starting it off with an accusation. I'm starting it from a place of I really do want to understand here. I really do want us to, to work through this, wrestle through it, and come to a, a place of peace. So I think having these different phrases in in our wardrobe, wardrobe, not our wardrobe. God, I could say that wrong. Um, but in, in <laughs> tucked away in our words. heart, having God's word tucked away in our heart, so that before we start to speak something that might not be the most edifying, we can quick think of a verse that will help us to temper our tongue. What's inside of us is what's going to spill out when we knock into somebody relationally. Karen Eman here on the intersection. You can find out more by visiting the website Karen Eman E H M A N dot com. This is the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Learn more through the website, meetinghouseonline.info. Through that site, you'll find a link to the download center marked Meeting House On Demand. You can also get subscribed to The Intersection and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes, on a weekly basis. Two blogs can be accessed. One is The Three, with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room, with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. You can also get connected to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info. Well, J.T. Olson is founder and executive director of Both Hands, a ministry to help families adopt children tied in with helping widows in need. He talked with me about his own story and the book, The Orphan, The Widow, and Me, Paying It Forward with Both Hands. This is J.T. Olson now. I'm in church running to a good friend of mine. I hadn't seen him a couple months. I just said, hey, what's up, Don? And he said, I'm adopting four kids from Moldova. Well, that was kind of a shock. I mean, Don already has three kids of his own. And I just said, what happened? <laughs> How'd that happen? He said, well, I went, out, I went to Moldova on a mission with Sweet Sleep. We were delivering beds um, to, uh, to orphanages in Moldova. And I was there the whole time I fell in love with this 11 year old boy and we were inseparable throughout the whole week. And we decided to start the adoption process. And in the process, we found out he has three siblings and we're just not going to break the siblings up. Well, when Don said that to me, it immediately took me back to when I was 12 years old, living on a farm in Northeastern Iowa with my mom and dad and two brothers and two sisters. And I remember one weekend in March in 1969, they announced they were going to leave and go celebrate their 16th wedding anniversary on a trip. And us kids were kind of farmed out to different places. And I remember Saturday night we were being brought home because they were coming home. And I had played all day in the barn. I was dirty. I had to go down the basement of our house to take off my boots. And I remember sitting on a chair, unlacing my boots, and my oldest brother comes walking down the stairs. I look up at him and I say, are mom and dad home? And he looks at me and he says, mom and dad are dead. Mm. And I, 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 I said, what? He said, mom and dad are dead. They were killed in a car accident an hour ago. And he walked back upstairs. And I remember hitting the floor, that cold cement floor, and wailing, just like any 12-year-old would. I mean, that, uh, that rocks your world. That, that is earth-shattering. And, and uh, I just, I know what it's like to be an orphan. I know what it's like to hear those words. I know what it's like to, to think, what's going to happen to us now? Who's going to take care of us? Um, 
I, I know what it's like to wake up the next morning and literally for the first 30, 40 seconds, you honestly believe that was just a dream. And then it starts to dawn on you and, and you try to fight it with everything you got. No, 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 it's not. A, that was a dream. That, that was a dream. And you realize, no, that wasn't a dream. I'm never going to see mom and dad again, this side of heaven. And so I know what it's like to be an orphan. And I also know what it's like to be rescued because three months before the accident, my mom and dad and my aunt and uncle had changed their wills that if anything would happen to one couple, the other couple would take them. Well, my aunt and uncle had three kids of their own. They lived in a nice suburb of Milwaukee called Brookfield. They took all five of us in. <laughs> so, I know what it's like to have someone come up and say, we got you. We got you back. So back to the story with Don. I'm in church talking to Don, and he says, we're not going to break the siblings up. Well, I'm the just right guy to say that to, you know, because mm. I'm not going to say, oh, you're crazy. You better think about that. I was just, I remember my thought. My thought was, yay, Don. And I remember looking at him thinking, here's a man who's trusting God in a way that I envy. And he said, I covet. I said, I want to trust God that way. And I just looked at Don. And I said, well, how much is that going to cost to adopt these four kids? He said about 65000 And I said, do you have any idea how you're going to raise that money? He just kind of gave me that look in his eye, like deer in the headlights look like, no, but I, I, well, I know we're going to figure it out. And I said, I think I got an idea. And so long story short, we got about 13, 14 guys. We all sent letters out to everyone we knew saying, would you sponsor me for the day while I work on this widow's house? And I found a widow in Nashville who needed help. We got all the supplies that we needed donated by local merchants, you know, or else individuals who just loved what we're doing. And we spent the day working on our house. And when it was over, we'd raised over $55,000. Wow. <laughs> mm. I literally felt like I was standing on holy ground. It just blew me away. I was expecting ten or 15000 But 55000 uh, just was amazing. So that was the first project, and that's how it works. Hope that makes it clear. J.T. Olson here on The Intersection. You can learn more by going to the website, bothhands.org. Well, The Intersection continues now with author Nicholas Kappas. He's been inspired by the work of C.S. Lewis, and in our recent conversation, he discussed his novel, Heaven Breaks In, which incorporates elements of spiritual warfare through the eyes of two angels. This is Nicholas Kappas. The book actually came out of my prayer life. I was thinking and praying a lot about how God works through the details of our life. What does it look like? Conversations, making new friends, uh, struggles, etc. And was thinking about putting that into a book. And it was actually when I read C.S. Lewis's Lewis proposes, Screwtape proposes a toast, where he was talking about Screwtape letters. And he said, someone should write a balanced book that has angels and demons in it to show the good side of warfare. And that sort of prompted me to do it. Hmm. And let's rewind just a bit. Obviously, Lewis has had quite an impact on your life. You referenced the Screwtape letters. And tell me about how it is that Lewis has influenced you just generally and, and specifically about this book. Sure, sure. I, I love C.S. Lewis. I dedicated the book to him. 
which is C.S. Lewis, who wrote for the glory of God and paved the way for many of us. And I think that was uh, probably the largest inspiration is he, he wrote for the Lord and he was heaven focused and he wrote with excellence. So those are the, those are the main things. He also was a, a storyteller and, and an essayist. So Lewis bridged the, the theology, but also the writer culture uh, interests that I have. So can't, can't say enough good things about him. Well, let's talk about the plot of this book. Set it up. And I know you have a main character by the name of Davis. There's an angel that is assigned to him. So, so what's the setup here? What's the scene? Davis is a high school senior, likable, smart uh, athlete, lacrosse player, who, who goes off to college at a Southern university and it's that period where he leaves the church youth group and he leaves home and goes, to, you know, tends campus where the transition happens. Uh, the, he, he's detached from his roots. A lot of warfare happens first semester away at college. And he, he slowly begins to drift from the Lord, not unlike a lot of college students. And God sends an angel to help in Littleton and is instructed that a senior Littleton finds out that a senior angel, actually Archangel Michael from the Bible, is going to be his overseer and strategist to guide him to help bring Davis back to a closer relationship with Christ. Well, I did want to ask, as this is set on a college campus, you have a, a student that is going to college. Tell me about why it was important to you to actually set it in this collegiate scene? Oh, yeah, great question. College is a battleground. We see so many students strong in the Lord in high school, and they leave youth group, and they go off to college, and by the time they graduate, they've they've strongly drifted. And I wanted to set it on a campus so that I could actually show, in a fictional sense, uh, but with biblical principles, what warfare looks like. I have scenes in the book where Davis is going through fraternity rush, making decisions about where he gets involved, um, relationships, girls, student ministries or not, and showing through actual dialogue and script what what that warfare looks like and having the angels comment on it. So that was a strong interest. Also, I've had a lot of experience with my graduate degrees and, and being involved in student ministry. So that was a second reason. And then university settings just make good, good scenes for, for novels or films. Nicholas Kappas here on The Intersection. Find out more by going to the website heavenbreaksin.com. Well, finally, on this edition of The Intersection Podcast, it's Kimberly Smith-Highland, president of Makeway Partners and author of the book Passport Through Darkness, a true story of danger and second chances. Recently, she shared with me an update about the ministry's activities in Sudan and South Sudan, including a high school graduation at the site of one of its facilities in South Sudan. This is Kimberly Smith Highland. We're actually in three separate locations. We have um, our mission is to prevent and combat human trafficking and modern day oppression all forms where women and children are the most vulnerable and yet with the fewest amount of resources. 
And so almost always that is going to lead us straight to the heart of Christian persecution and genocide, or, or at least war zones, because that's where you have women and children, particularly widows and orphans. You have completely isolated the infrastructure because the government is complicit in the problem. The infrastructure is comp- entirely broke down, broken down. And so you have mass amounts of literally millions of widows and orphans who are just living in the bush. And when I say the bush, I mean, there's no running water, there's no electricity, there's no telephone service, there's um, no infrastructure for them, there's no medical care, there's no road access to where there may be a, an ill-equipped clinic. Um, and so it's just mass chaos. And literally the slave raiders come through and simply take the women and children. And so Makeway Partners goes into these areas and we just begin very prayerfully with our American staff spending time on the ground. And I've done this over the last 13 years. I've spent several years um, accumulated time in these regions, just prayerfully looking for godly men and women who already are doing what they can with what they have, looking for like-minded Um, people in the midst of government-sanctioned rape and uh, Christian persecution. Mm. And so we have been able to identify three key locations, one in Sudan in the Nuba Mountains and two in South Sudan. Our very first one was on the border of Darfur in the height of the Darfur genocide is when I first went in and began this um, 2004-2005 area. And then we have the third orphanage in South Sudan, very near the border of Uganda. So we have now nearly 2,000 children under our complete care ministry. And when I say complete care, because there is no governmental infrastructure, we do everything that it takes to raise and protect a child in the midst of war. That means we build their home, we build their school, we build a medical clinic, we build their church, we hire their teachers, we train and educate their teachers, we provide Christian Christian educational curriculum all the way from first through, we started with just first grade, and then we built to second grade when they finished, and then we built to third grade, and as you mentioned just a few moments ago, um, just in December of 2016, just um, last month, because they ran they ran their school year from January to December and go year round. Uh, we had our first graduating high school class of seniors. Oh my goodness! Um, and this this in the midst of a civil war um, all around us, and so it's just been. We have 750 students at that school now, and it is just amazing. Our kids are being raised in the love of Christ, and they're now more educated than most of their parliamentary leaders. Kimberly Smith-Highland here on The Intersection. You can find out more about the ministry by going to makewaypartners.org. Well, that just about wraps up this edition of The Intersection Podcast. It's a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can learn more through the website meetinghouseonline.info. There you'll find a link to the download center marked Meeting House On Demand, through which you could listen to, download, or share full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection podcast. Also through that website, you can subscribe to the podcast. You can also get connected to two blogs. One is The Three, with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room, with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House. 
And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. You can also get connected to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.